Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this Saturday morning show, Damage or Wear and Tear, which counts as which, and what can you claim back? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, myself, Kern, um, my letting agent, Kern, and we're going to put questions to you, Jim, because, well, you're an investor and a landlord, and, and you have been for some time. Um, so I, I was thought I was just done for a, a free gig. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> realise I had to work though. for this. And I think recently... Um, we just retrained with Safe Deposit Scotland, which is all about obviously claiming against the deposit in uh, situations where there is damage or wear and tear and things as well. So um, we need to keep up to date with that uh, continually to make sure that we know the best ways for claiming against the deposit if need be when it comes to damage to the property or whether it just comes under wear and tear. Um, so we're really going to delve into that today and it'd be interesting to hear your point of view, Jim, as a, a landlord investor and uh, us as the agent. Is it just me or Jim, is your sound went? No, I can't hear him either. Jim, we can't hear you. There you go. What about that? I didn't know what, what about that. So we missed all of that there. Is I didn't know about of, the is, are, we, are we back online, yeah? Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, perfect. I don't know what happened there. Anyway, so <laughs> as an investor and as a landlord, as I was saying, it's from my point of view, I don't understand what happens in the dynamics between the property getting rented and the management of the properties because I'm not there in the in the detail and yeah. the minutia and so as a landlord and investor I often think to myself it's like a brand new car you give somebody a brand new car like you give them their house all refurbished completely and yeah. in five years time you expect it back probably exactly like you gave them it well that's the kind there's a lot of landlords out there there's, let me finish there's a lot of landlords out there they actually believe that to be true and factual. But in actual fact, I'm now beginning to realise over a period of time, it's like, you know, it's like anything. It's got to wear and tear. If you're doing 60 to 100,000 miles in a car, you can't, for a, for a person you're leasing it to, the car, you can't expect the car to, to return, be returned to you in brand new condition. I once came across this. Andrew Forrester in Leaven. It was a car salesman. Now, obviously, you know what car salesman, the, the reputation that goes with that. But he was a car salesman and I had bought a car from him and it wasn't the greatest car, but I brought it back to him and I continually complained about things that were going wrong with the car. And he said to me at one point, Jim, what do you expect for a thousand quid? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you expect a brand new car? Because if it is, it's nine thousand pound. And I, I went, oh, OK, I, I never really thought it like that before. Um, and that's the that that's how that's how I think you have to take account as a landlord or investor uh, the the approach to is it damage or is it actually wear and tear and we're going to discuss about exactly yeah. what that is. Um, so any landlord investor out there will completely understand what how to tackle this the next time they come across it. Yeah, you're definitely right, and I think you really need to take that into consideration, and 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 we'll we'll go into it in a lot more detail as we go through, but. And you, you know, things like um, carpets and things in a property is a, a really big one. People think anything happens to a carpet, you get a whole new one. 
that's not the case. And we'll talk about where that falls in between wear and tear and damage. But it's, it's like you see, Jim, it's like when you bump into maybe old friends or people you were at school with and things. It's, it's yeah. like you, you recognise that they've aged. And it's the same with your rental property. They'll look a little bit older when you get them back at the end of your tenancy. More than likely, depending on the length of the tenancy and things. Um, and if you've not seen the property for a while, the difference can be quite jarring. Um, if you've not seen it for that period of time, and that's where obviously inspections and things come in quite well. But regardless of whether um, properties are owned or whether they're rented, all homes age over time. Um, but when you see yours all the time, like your own home, sometimes you, you can become a wee bit complacent and you, you miss and you live with the gradual wear and tear. And that's just part of daily life. But you need to realise that that happens in a rental property as well, because people at people's homes as well, not obviously just because you're not in it. Um, so while most tenants do return the property in excellent condition, some are less considerate. And accidents, of course, will also happen. So it's smart to move uh, move yourself, obviously, and arm yourself with the answers to questions like, does it count as damage? What is considered as a fair wear and tear? How can you minimise the risk of damage in the property? Um, what do you need for a valid claim? That's when we'll talk about inventories and Safe Deposit Scotland scheme. And um, and how does the whole uh, claim process work through the deposit scheme as well? And this is all covered in the blog that's attached to this, uh, this show today. And that's what we're going to cover. And it will really boost your knowledge and protect you and your property to make you have a successful claim if you need to. And if you're in the event of a dispute, how to handle that correctly. Absolutely. Karen, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. We have a lot of landlords that have a false expectation of what their property is going to be like when they get it back. So it's good to obviously help people understand what's all involved in receiving their property back and what's all involved in a claim, for example, because it is a very lengthy process. There's a lot involved in it. And a lot of people don't realise what goes into making a claim if need be at the end of the tenancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the time, it's a fairly simple process to go through if there's not damage or there's not extensive uh, uh, deterioration to the property and we then have to then look at whether it is wear or tear or damage and things. So Karen, tell us a bit about what actually counts as damage. So if we were to sum up damage, it would be something that counts as deliberate or accidental negligence towards your property, which is being caused by either the tenant or their visitors. So that's although... a big one, sorry, as well. <laughs> it's not always just the tenant. And, I've seen that over the years and it's people coming into the home that don't actually live there that have caused damage or, do you know, that's where this extra, the traffic on, on carpets and walkways and things have happened because there's extensive um, use of that because of the visitors. So, yeah, that's a good point. And that's the thing, it's not just visitors as well. You've got visitors, children, pets. There's a whole different factors that come into it as to who can cause damage to a property. So although we can't cover every possible eventuality for it in this article then obviously we do have some pointers of what would usually count as damage so yeah. this is assuming they are covered within your tenancy agreement so making sure you have the right agreement in place in the first place is one of the key points here as well so causing appliances to break down throughout the lack of care so this can be things such as including the defrosting of a freezer um, a washing machine not descaling it as well and also not cleaning cooker hoods or extractor fans and this can be one of the biggest ones obviously extractors, cooker hoods they are one of the biggest ones that we see at the end of the tenancy because people become complacent don't clean them and then at the end it's a whole job 
and it can be quite expensive to get a professional oven clean done as well. So keeping on top of these small things throughout a tenancy can result in you getting your deposit back because they're not things that are going to have to be claimed off again at the end of it. Yeah. I mean, Jim, I know your model um, for all your properties, you have integrated oven, hub, uh, and extractor. To which oh, I totally agree with, because at least when somebody moves in, they have the cooking facilities there available. But you tend not to do other appliances um, unless unless needed. Um, but uh, purely um, purely down to a taxation reason, because the fact that the wear and tear allowance was taken away. So the wear and tear allowance yeah. was a really generous allowance the government gave over ten percent right across your top line revenue. So it was a really good tax deduction. But now the wear and tear allowance isn't existing; it's just a replacement. Um, they do they, they worked it out. Obviously, they were going to get more revenue, so they thought we'll just take away the wear and tear allowance, and we'll actually just put it on the, you know, the the replacement value, and that's it, really. And um, yeah. so, uh, you know, it, it's difficult to, you know, just talk about deliberate or accidental. Um, mm -hmm. I actually see here's a classic example of deliberate, and a lot of people don't understand this. Um, the tenant was actually given the property with unblocked drains. In other words, all the drains were perfect, the toilet was perfect, everything's working, the sewer was yeah. fine outside. And then all of a sudden they phone up and say, my drain's blocked. Okay, so how did it block? And then you get the drain person out and then they go, well, it's nappies or it's, you know, and I've seen that happen. It's nappies or it's wet wipes or oh, it's, you know, oh, sanitary towels and stuff like that down, down the toilet and no doing anything like that. And, it, and it's only, it only leads from one property. It's, yeah. it's our property. And then the tenant says, but why am I liable for that? Well, well, you're the one that blocked the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> but they actually think the, the landlord's responsible for doing it. Now, under the standard repair that, yeah, the landlord's responsible for unblocking it, if that's the case. But it's chargeable to the tenant, as far as I'm concerned, because it's it's negligence. It's the tenant's use that's caused the problem. Yeah. So so it can be it can be accidental. Here's another one as well, a classic example. There's water ingress coming in from the top of the ceiling. And it's constantly coming in. Your tenant reports it straight away when it happens. Is that accidental or is that the tenant's liability? That's, now, that's accidental. Yeah, absolutely. But what if the tenant then leaves it for six months and doesn't actually say anything about it at all? That's the tenant's responsibility. Yeah. And that's Negative. what most tenants don't realise. They don't actually realise that leaving the place dump and not reporting it in some shape or form. Now, when, if you're a tenant, report it in writing somewhere, put yeah. on an email and send it to your property management company or your landlord. Because I'll tell you what, some landlords would, you know, unfortunately, we've no all got fantastic minds, we've no all fantastic record keepers. Therefore, some landlords and, and, and letting agents will actually forget if you don't actually put it in writing. So you have to make sure your liability is passed on. And that's why you put it in writing as a tenant to make sure that you're no longer reliable and it's and you're no longer negligent in that situation because you've reported it as quick as you can. This goes back to the insurance companies because the insurance companies do it flip side the other way as well. You know, if you flood downstairs accidentally, OK, downstairs insurance is, is going to have to pay for that. It's not upstairs that pays for it. And yet, wait a minute, but you flooded my downstairs. Surely you'd be paying for that. No, your insurance has got to cover it. That's how they work. But if you're negligent upstairs and you continually flood and leave it and it continually gets damaged over a period of time, then your insurance has to pay for it because you're now negligent as far as the insurance yeah. company is concerned. Because you see how that happens. The insurance company obviously realises that no one wants to be negligent and everybody will fix it when they're meant to be fixing it. So that's the least liability for them. So that's how they work like that. 
Yeah, a lot. That's that's quite. Uh, often uh, people get confused with that one if there's been a, a, a leak or whatever. Downstairs always automatically assumes, oh, it's upstairs that needs to sort this upstairs insurance, and it's not. That's why it's yeah. so important to have your own insurance as a landlord and as, as a tenant as well, your contents insurance. That's why having a great insight as a letting agent and being able to manage that situation effectively. And it is an easy one to get away with because all you need to do is look, I'll just take your details or pass them on to my insurer or my or my, my loss adjuster and uh, they'll contact you and get in touch with you. Now, the loss adjuster then just goes straight back to them and goes, by the way, it's no liability yeah. because it's not negligent. And then their insurance, they get on, and go hell for leather at their insurance and their insurance goes, they're absolutely right. <laughs> Job done. Yeah. All the flax taking off of you, you're no longer in the in the firing line. And that's how to skillfully manage that situation. Yeah, definitely. What um what other areas count as damage then, Kim? So these are some of the most common ones that we end up seeing at the end of a tenancy. So such as burn marks on a worktop, um anything that I've marked burns. So when it comes to things such as irons, saucepans. Hair straighteners is probably one of the worst ones that we see. Straighteners and irons on the carpets, uh, one uh, yeah. that you see often. And obviously, if your property is non-smoking, obviously it does count when there's tobacco and smells and discolouring. This will obviously count as well if your property is, again, coming back to the tenancy agreement, specified as non-smoking. I mean, yeah. that's all our properties, I mean, as standard, are no smoking. Can I ask the question uh, then? If, if it's gone 10 years where the tenant stayed in the property and your agreement says you're not meant to be smoking in it and they've gone 10 years and they've been smoking in it, is it negligent or is it just wearing tear? It's negligent. Yeah. Definitely. You're not meant to be smoking at all. All, proper, all our properties are definitely, I mean, I would imagine everybody, but then I don't like to assume. Everybody I've, has had, a I've, I've had somebody on, on, on TikTok, a positive comment on TikTok. Oh, really? <laughs> for a change. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on tenants putting a pull-up bar in the door frame I, I mean as long as it's one you get these they twist and extend and it's it's purely just pre the pressure of it pushing against either uh, side of the door frame yeah. that's fine i wouldn't have a problem with that because it doesn't really it might leave a slight slight indentation in terms of obviously fixing that to the door frame or screwing it in and things definitely check with your landlord or your agent if you're allowed to do that it's the same yeah. with tvs and walls which is so so popular now everybody wants a tv on the wall but you need to check that you're allowed to do that and it's done professionally um, and not just a box job where you're pulling all the plaster off the wall, et cetera, and that you're in agreement that it gets put back to what it was uh, prior, uh, as it Good was stuff. prior to the tenancy. Ali's actually just saying he's just moved to a facilities and operations manager and it's a great insight. Thank you very much. He was asking if it was a daily live. It's You just catch us when you catch us, uh, Ali. Um, so, you know, just... Just when we go live on TikTok, you'll see. But if you want to follow the channels and you want to see all the content, it, everything's still on, on our YouTube channels, on Fife Properties YouTube channel, Fife Properties TV. Um, yeah. So you'll see it on YouTube and you'll see all the playlists for this as well. So you'll be able to look back and see stuff. OK, uh, like, let's get let's get cracking. Yeah, yeah sorry, Kevin, you were still, yeah, I'll let you go on. Yeah, so another one, again, quite a common one, especially at this time of the year, is mould from drying clothes on radiators leaving bottles against tiles and wet areas and not ventilating during showers and cooking. So as I say, this time of the year is so bad for mould and people don't quite have that understanding between what mould is and what between condensation and natural water ingress. So yeah. obviously coming back, doing your inspections is going to be key here. Mould is something that has to be kept on top on. It has to be treated. 
and then it's easy to get rid of whereas if a tenant just leaves it which some of them unfortunately like to do it can it will just keep growing so nipping it in the bud doing your inspections making sure your tenants are educated on the difference between condensation and actual water ingress so you're not ending up with any issues at the end of your tenancy and you can identify if the issue is water ingress what's causing it and get it rectified before it causes damage to your property it's probably the biggest bone of contention especially yeah. with the media exacerbating the situation and making it worse and worse and, and making it out as if every single condensation in a property is actually mold and people are going to die as a result of it and it's like it's not most of it's condensation and it and it's down to normal this is now i i i actually just double check with the association of scottish landlords or the scottish uh, scottish landlords association uh, yeah. so and actually double check with them just to make sure every single time because i'm a, i like crossing the t's and dotting the i's and yeah. making sure i've just got the right rhetoric and and we're still up to date with the current legislation we still understand the remit um, and they actually said um, it's normal tenant duties for the tenant actually to wipe down any areas that are actually got condensation in the walls and actually make good any condensation build up it's causing a wee bit of black spot mold now black spot mold is generally caused by condensation build up on hitting a wall and it doesn't disappear because there's no flow of air behind it therefore it, it's not damp it's just condensation build up but it needs to be wiped down but that's down to a normal tenant duty to do yeah it's amazing how many tenants will actually not they'll just not touch it and leave it and let it build up and it's like why why are you not wiping it down all my clothes are all my clothes have been destroyed in my wardrobe but why on earth did you know just clean your wardrobe it's like why why did you just have a dehumidifier pot in my wardrobe and i vacuum my windows every single morning upstairs because they get, there is condensation so and i've got older double glazed units here there's wooden frames so they are really prone to it so i vacuum them cart chart every morning before i go to work make sure they're all condensation free and i have a pot in my wardrobe and it's all these it's little preventative things that means that i'm not having to wipe down mold spots from my windows or from the walls because i keep on top of it and when we do inspections as well i keep a bottle of mold spray in the boot of the car so if we Ever do come across a tenant i say to them are you happy for me to spray this and i will show you how easy it is to get rid of go get yourself a bottle it takes me back to my days in durward street when i first got my first flat it's like that's all it ever was it was just because you're you're lying in your bed and most of your condensation comes from your mouth you know the vapor when during the night and you've got the doors closed and you've got the windows closed clearly you know you should really have trickle vents open you should have the windows open but i can't stand it any noise and i stay awake it's like a pin drops and it's like what was that <laughs> um, so so i keep everything closed so therefore when the when the when the water vapor hits the windows which is cold and you've obviously it's obviously warm it condensates straight away onto the windows and then drips onto the onto the actual uh, cells like what you said kim and a lot of a lot of people and i'm talking about just people i'm not talking about tenants in general a lot of people just leave it and it's like it just sinks into the woodwork or sinks into the cells and then it starts to cause damage over time it's like, for God's sake, why do you not just wipe it up? And that's the type of negligence that we could be talking about, you know, long-term damage as a result of not following just normal tenant duties. And yeah. and before anybody pipes up or shouts out or anything like that, yes, we also have to follow normal landlord duties as well. Yeah. So what? Um, you're right about the window sills and things because if timber window sills, I've seen them all too often sometimes be totally warped because they've just the water's just sat on it sat on it, and never been wiped down or cleaned up properly and people need to do that in their own homes 
whether you're a tenant, whether you're a homeowner, whether do you know what I mean? Like you said, Karen, you do it yourself. Um, and uh, it's just something, it's just good practice to keep your, your, your property in good condition. What instances are there where tenants aren't responsible, Karen? So there, obviously there is a lot of responsibility to a tenant. However, there are areas, like you said, that they are not responsible for. So this covers things such as damage by neighbouring homes, extreme weather, which we get quite a lot of here. Which we're all too aware of. Intruders, vandals or a landlord's negligence. So yeah. it's wise to protect yourself with adequate insurance. Yes, and Jim, you, you okay. highlighted that. What could be what could be ideas of a landlord's negligence then? Just to, as a quick two minute. So that's for well, example, if you have reported water ingress to the property and the landlord has not done anything to rectify it, that is something that is going to continue to get worse. Same likes of a, a bath seal, something that's really easily fixed, just needs resealed, and that can cause quite a lot of damage as well. If the yeah. water is getting in there, you can have water marks on whichever room is below the bathroom or just it'll rot underneath the bath as well. So these are little things that are down to a landlord to keep on top of, but also down to a tenant to report. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that's why that's when it comes in, like uh, like you highlight, Jim, there. If you are a tenant and you're reporting things, make sure you've got a record of it. Um, if you are dealing with a reputable agent, they will also have a record of that. There was one we had recently, Karen, and, uh, and I ended up, um, I was in the property, and I noticed the water ingress, I thought, God, and the tenant had just left, and I'm like, that's quite bad. Um, and I come back into the office and got Laura to check, I said, could you check through the record? And she's like, yeah, yeah, they reported that, and the roof's been sorted, and I was like, right, okay. It's just, if they hadn't reported it, then that would fall back to the tenant, do you know, because it was quite bad, um, but the roof repair had been done, and it was all reported and things, it's just an ongoing issue. So then that's where I was trying to establish, mm, who's responsible here, because if that's not been reported, um, so then so we yeah, establish what counts as damage. Yeah. Then then that's... then tell me then what counts as wear and tear. So even with the most wonderful tenants and the best intentions, it's it's impossible to return the property exactly. Like you said with the car gym, it's impossible to um return it exactly the same condition as it was in the check-in, particularly if tenants have been there for a few years. And after a few years, you need to take into consider into consideration wear and tear and of course it does leave room for some great areas and that is a that's where then it comes into debate but here are some typical examples and we're going to go through them where wear and tear for landlords to accept just as part of daily life and the first one for me is as you'll see it all the time um, especially after a tenancy has been running for a few years is scuff marks on maybe the walls or maybe around the, the skipping boards or the door fascias, uh, particularly at entrance halls and high um, traffic areas, entrance halls, staircases uh, and landings and things as well. Sometimes loosening handles on the on the main doors at these areas as well. A wee bit wear and tear at thresholds between these doorways. And like I say, the odd dent and scratch on the wood the the um the woodwork and possibly what about cats and dogs? about cats and dogs well pets can i'll let you cover pets so if you have a pet in the property and it's causing damage for example they have scratched the, the pet has scratched the carpet the door frame has caused damage that is negligence for it well these yeah. things happen but at the end of the day it is then down to a tenant to rectify this and if you don't throughout your tenancy then you could have a claim against you at the end of the tenancy yeah. Yeah, I mean, we are all for uh, tenants having pets and that's not an issue as long as the landlord's on, on board. I mean, obviously, that's all going to change soon anyway. Yeah. But 
Um, I think it's it's all down to the the tenant looking after the, the pet properly. A lot of tenants now are, are prepared to pay that wee bit extra on their deposit just to kind of um, safeguard for having the pet because although you could be the best pet owner, pets could cause some damage and uh, that does not come under wear and tear. It's definitely damage. Um, so it again, again, it really comes back to this this situation where if somebody's been in there for 10 years and they've got a pet and the pet has continually scratched the door to get in or continually scratched the bottom of the corner of the carpet, I only know that because I've got pets. <laughs> that's, that's the <laughs> yeah, type of things they do. Um, you have to get to them quick. Um, so it, it can damage it. But there, there is, there, do you think there is still a, 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 a an assumption that because they've been in so long that they're no liable for that? Yeah, no, that's not the case. Yeah, okay. That's good. Yeah, definitely. If, you, if your pet's been damaged in the property, it's because you've not been looking after the pet or monitoring its behaviour. And that yeah. is down to the tenant's uh, responsibility. And it's it's good tenant duties because you know we have scratch posts right through the, our mm -hmm. house um, to make sure that the the cats actually get a good scratch at stuff. And obviously we leave some of the doors open so they can get in and out some of the main places where they're going to come through the thoroughfare. Um, and it is just keeping on top of that and vigilant to that. But we've only just replaced our carpets, and and that was after a long time. And that's what they've done. They just continually just pulled up the corners all the time when they're at certain doors. Uh, and just catch them in time before they do that. So it's it's it's, it's a good one to clarify that that, that there's actually tenant negligence. No, oh, definitely that's yeah, definitely. Um, but as what I say, about, what about then? We're on carpets then. When we talk about the carpets, um, how long should a carpet last? Now carpets. This is the this is the one that always gets people because, like I said, I mentioned at the beginning when we have to make a claim for a, a carpet. A landlord most of the time expects to get a whole new brand, a brand new carpet, and it's not. It's done in a percentage a, amount of the cost of the carpet for to renew it. You don't get a whole new carpet. Carpets, the life of a carpet in the eyes of the deposit scheme is five years. Okay. Yeah. So, and carpets tend to deteriorate faster than maybe solid wood floors, or you know, because they're being walked on and um, they're in, they could be in high traffic areas. They sometimes pull away for the thresholds and things as well over time and that's where it comes into the wear and tear factor how um, would how would safe deposit scotland this is the deposit agency yeah. and the, the their adjudication panel how would they view a situation and it has happened before yeah. where the a landlord has just put down a brand new carpet mm -hmm. and the tenant lays their iron on the floor and burns the carpet one bit of that carpet and then subsequently six months later moves out how would they view that situation the tenant's responsible to replace because the carpet you can't exactly just cow a, a corner or a, or a bit and you can't exactly expect the next person that moves in to have a burn in their carpet so how would they view that how would safe deposit scotland view that that's not us how would they view that do you know yeah Karen, we just covered this with them i'll let you do this yeah so we just had training with safe deposit scotland to keep up to date with um, all their regulations everything that's all involved in the process now it has always been the case when it comes to carpets if you have the situation that you've just explained Jim new carpet iron burnt down on it and made a mark you will only be awarded a portion of the carpet cost so they will divide that by the area effectively that has been damaged so it is a bit unfair. it's not right is it it's not right at all and this is this is where the this is where the this is where I would say the fallout between a landlord and the managing agent, the fallout yeah. happens because Safe Deposit Scotland is the one driving this, the decision. And you, you, as a, you as a letting agent 
have got no no adjudication towards that. You can't argue that at all because you said, wait a minute, we've just put a brand new carpet down. Six months later, the tenant burns it, walks out the door, and you're still telling us they've only got to pay for a small part of that. And you're expecting the next tenant to move in without burning the carpet. Yeah. I mean, for example, say you put a new carpet down and it was £300, for example. Your, your likelihood, if it's got a burn on it, you're going to get maybe £40 to £60 back. Just as a, yeah, a that's example. wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that's wrong, but that's safe deposit Scotland, yeah, and it's not just safe deposit Scotland, that's the way the custodial schemes run in Scotland. That's the way yeah. they all run. My deposits are exactly the same, they all have that as their thing, and that's driven by the government, the Scottish government, and their rhetoric and how they view things and the, and the, and the, and the legal system. So, while you know, you can see I'm getting pretty annoyed about it. Yeah. While, while I'm really annoyed about it, there's nothing I can do about it as a landlord. There's nothing you can do about it as a letting agent either. Yeah, I know. And, and they, they are there for the, the reason, and they are really good to have that third party, um, obviously, impartial to, to obviously the relationship between us, the agent, and the landlord and the tenant to make that decision. Sometimes it doesn't always, it's not always viewed as fair, but that's the way it is, unfortunately. So, okay, so so that then then brings us on. We're talking about carpets. What about solid wood floors and stuff like that? What about yeah, your well, laminate flooring? Yeah, because as I say, obviously cheap laminate flooring and um, things like um, they're quite notorious for, and prone for chipping. I, I don't like the cheap laminate flooring. Uh, they're not really durable enough for a tenancy. And like like we said, the hardwood floors and things obviously stand the test of time. But um, yeah, I would stay away from cheap laminate uh, floors with this. They've got a very, very thin laminate on top of um, quite um, like uh, it's quite um, it's not the best wood. As Do you know what I think they're wood. good for though? Do you know what I think they're really good for? If you have a if you've put a cheap laminate floor and you're buying a house with a cheap laminate floor, they're a great bed to put a, a carpet right on top of. Yeah, and we've they're had that perfect for that. that before, That's yeah. what I love about it. The amount of people that come in and say, even, even, I should maybe just take up that floor. And when I go to see people to sell their houses, I should maybe just take up that floor and then then, then just put a carpet down. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. That's a perfect base to put a carpet yeah. on top of. That's a perfect base to put lino on top of. It's a, it's perfectly flat. Just leave it where it is and put it on and just take a wee bit off the bottom of the door if you have to. And, and it works very, very well. So that's what I love about possible laminate laminate is not the greatest for me personally as a landlord when it's an upstairs flat especially if it's over somebody's bedroom because you can cause real problems by antisocial behavior between two people upstairs and downstairs and so that's a that, that would be my top tip as a landlord or, or as an investor it, my experience i've got over the years um to, to avoid don't put laminate floating above somebody's bedroom downstairs if you've got oh, yeah. flats Karen, we spoke about like ventilation and obviously the the damage where it's classed as damage when you're not reporting um, mold and things like that and condensation. What about in a, in a wear and tear situation if there's not maybe ventilation, the proper ventilation provided, or how would that work? So obviously, if you're not providing adequate ventilation in kitchens and bathrooms, you can expect mold to build up. Uh, so it's going to affect obviously. It'll grow on the grout, the ceiling, and the ceilings, along with flaking paintwork as well. So yeah. none of these things so, are things that you want to be Yeah, without with. without a proper um, extractor fan in the bathroom, you're going to see the, the ceiling is going to start flaking. It's going to start um, showing mould. And also, that's why we all, like Jim, and yours, we always put in cooker hoods and the extractor mm -hmm. fan so that you've got that ventilation for when cooking and things. 
This is why I've got no hair left, because I keep tearing <laughs> my hair out when, when I see it every single time. When you see it on the landlord channels and on the forums, and every single time people go, they put a picture of their bathroom ceiling or their kitchen ceiling, and they sit and say, why has it got all this black spot on it and everything? What's going on there? And I'm like, that's emulsion paint. It's like you're meant to use vinyl silk. Yeah. Vinyl silk is for kitchens and bathrooms. It is watertight. Therefore, you can just wipe it down. Yeah. It looks glossy when it goes on, but that's what it's for. Or you just put, or you just put the, you know, the cladding up, which the is the, panel, you know, the which is a lot more expensive. Yeah. I'd rather just put the vinyl silk on. So for God's sake, put vinyl silk on your ceilings and your walls and bathrooms and kitchens if you have to. Stop putting emulsion, matte emulsion. Yeah, that's what's yeah. causing the problem. All your blooming mold and everything hitting in the top corners and 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 just staining your 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 paint flaking off as well. Eh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, when it comes to wear and tear as well, now I'm just going to finally on wear and tear cleaning. Now cleaning is an entirely separate subject to wear and tear. Just to clear that up with people, and tenants should always be returning your property as clean as when they received it. So cleaning as I mean, if you get your property handed over to you clean, you return it back to the landlord or agent as clean as it was. So this um, goes that, back to what you were saying, Kern, and what you were saying, Richard, about you know your day-to-day -day cleaning duties and just making yeah. sure everything's everything's uh, done as it should. Just like you have, when you give, personally for me as a landlord, when I give somebody a home, or when you guys give somebody a home on their behalf, um, or a house, I would say, I call it a house. When I give somebody a house or a flat or an apartment, I expect them to make it a home. And as yeah. normal homely duties, as a tenant duties would do, or any homeowner duties, you would clean your home. But for some reason, some people, very few, actually view a rental home as a completely different proposition than having your own home at your own. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a weird thing in their in the, in the mind. I've, I've often seen that. You know, people I've had in the past, just personally, when I manage myself, my own yeah. stock. It's like they've they've treated their home like a tip, and yet they'll move to their brand new house and they move to their brand new house that they brought, and and, and it's pristine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you what? <laughs> oh, I don't I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, there's I, 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 we see that we've seen that in the past, and and that's just the way some people are, unfortunately. But let's have a wee chat about how we could actually minimise the risk of damage in a property, and obviously the happiest landlords. Um, are those who have the least hassle from either maybe regular maintenance call-outs or things breaking down or dealing with yeah. damages after tenants move out. If you're one of those landlords, then um, you're very lucky um, because at some point it should you you will experience some sort of it's just part of the industry. Uh, and I think if you're a landlord with several properties, it, you'll you'll be all too familiar as you are, Jim, over the years that mm -hmm. it happens. But um, so it, it's wise and and you'll be wise to this as well, Jim, that. You could take a few precautionary me measures at the start of the tenancy or before the start of the tenancy, and that could make the property all that more durable um, and a, a, an all more durable place for people to live throughout the tenancy. So we'll cover some yeah. of them just now. And I think, as we just said about um, fixtures and fittings and things, use decent fittings. Now, it doesn't need to be really expensive ones, um, but cheap blinds and tarps and carpets and door handles and locks and appliances never will malfunction and break over time. Um, so even if you won the case, you'll still spend uh, dreary times sorting it all out if you've got cheap um, 
low low cost uh, fixtures and fittings in a property. What other we things won't, have we got we to think about though? The test of time. Kevin, what other things do you have to think about then, if that's the case? You know, when you so come I mean, to the, you know, minimising the risk. So obviously avoiding delicate fittings and finishings like glossy lacquered radiators and taps, cheap laminate flooring, which we've covered, <laughs> and high maintenance surfaces. These all take into effect, obviously minimising that risk in the first place for it. Don't put cheap products in and then wonder why they're not, why they've broken or yeah. need replaced. Or why they don't stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. And it makes it easier for your tenant to look after your property as well and keeps their deposit by ending them up on a by reducing mold, caring for their appliances, and removing shoes at the door. This is one that I always get at viewings as well. When people come in, I've had that literally just this week. The landlord had had all the carpets shampooed, the property's lovely, ready to go. Very rainy day. This is why we chose to put for viewings. Um, got a nice little bit of laminate as soon as you come in the door, so nice and low maintenance, and yeah. people not taking their shoes off and having to be. Asked well, that's exactly what it is. Off. This is what this is why in the apartments we chose to put uh, maybe cord carpet at the front door. Mm -hmm. So cord carpet for about maybe a meter and a half to two meters, yeah. and then the real carpet started after that. So at least the cord carpet, which is basically somewhere to wipe their feet and put their boots and all the rest of it before they actually physically got into the carpet itself. Um, and, and this is why we understood that further. And it's like what you say as well, when you have an entrance vestibule, make sure it's tiled or make sure it's got a carpet, or a, a, a brush carpet like cord, yeah. or make sure it's got even vinyl with it. Even vinyl at the front's a good one as well, isn't it? Because vinyl's easily washable. That's probably the best one. Vinyl with maybe just a, um, a, a mat to, to wipe your feet on as you come in the door. So that's easily washable as well. And then just put a door bar right across halfway, uh, about, you know, about a metre and a half to two metres in, and then carpet from then on in the hallway. And that just keeps it nice and clean. It also sets a precedent, I think, personally for me, with the tenant, and the fact that this is what you expect them to do. Yeah. how we want to look after. It's also, Karen, you touched on it earlier as well, about the showing people how to use, like, the, the right mould spray to use and how to wipe things. It's all about educating people as well. And it's at the beginning saying, like, this is what you do, and this, or even if it's working certain appliances or how to care for something, educate them at the beginning, and you set that tone for the, the duration of the tenancy, like, this is what our expectation is. That's also when carrying out regular inspections comes into a force, because you're making sure the tenants are looking after the property, you're catching any problems early, you can alert the tenant when they are making mistakes, things such as that, not keeping on top of areas which they should be. And it also catches minor repairs before they become major ones and costly ones at that as well. This does that, go a lot back to you. This does go a lot back to picking the right tenant, though, doesn't it? This goes right back to the getting the right tenant in the first place. Yeah. And someday you know will more than likely look after the property. And you can yeah. tell that at the interview stage, can't you? Yeah, definitely. That's the thing that one that I just on the viewings that we had three really good applications in for it. But, and I mean, all of them would have been good on paper, but I was able to say to the landlord, this is the person that gave me the first a good impression at the viewing. Not that the others didn't as well, but that was the one that I got the best impression from. Took their shoes off when they came in, was very pleasant, very polite, was early as well. Always a good show that they've got good time management. And uh, so that was the person that they've decided to go with because we had three really good people on paper and you could have picked out of any of them. But that impression at the viewing was the thing that took that person to the successful yeah, stage of it. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about that yesterday, um, about obviously the importance of referencing and finding the right people in the beginning. We're currently looking after a property that we took over 
uh, about a year ago, and it was somebody that was in place as part of that um, as part of that portfolio. And they've been quite difficult to get access and all the rest of it. But she's she's subsequently left, and now we understand why she wouldn't let us in because <laughs> she's not been looking after. But but it wasn't her tenant, and, and obviously what we do as a process to find a tenant hasn't been done with, with when choosing that person this thing goes back a lot to um appearance doesn't it and yeah. the fact that and this is what i've taught from the very beginning is the fact that you know they could turn up in the best suit possible but if if their health doesn't look great if their appearance doesn't look great i you know there's a few telltale signs. You you can you can know straight away, and and I'm and I'm not going to say it on a public forum how you can these telltale signs, but we all know what these telltale signs are. A row of condemned houses, a row of condemned houses is an yeah. appropriate sign yeah. straight away to avoid that person because there is a problem. If they can't and genuinely, if the person in front of you can't look after their own health and their self, yeah. they're not going to be able to look after their house like you expect them to look after as well. I mean that's just a that's just a time tested, um, um, you know, ex experience and wisdom thing. I've I've actually tried to dispel and think no no it can't be that. And the amount of money and the thousands the tens of thousands I've lost, you know, just trying to say it that's no it can't be that. It can't be as simple as that. It is as simple as that. Yeah, impressions in person are, are a big part of the the referencing process. When, when we were talking, just uh, I've seen Drew, Drew has jumped in there with what about the upkeep of the garden areas? And I was about to just pick up on when we touched on inspections there. That's a good point um, where you could uh, pick up on the external of the property. And that's obviously the perimeter walk, the gardens, the gutters, the roof. Do you know, have that look around the property for water ingress, make sure obviously the garden's been maintained. And I mean, you don't need to be, you know, green fingered and things. You just need to make sure that the, the property has been cut back and maintained and de-weeded um, to a reasonable level um, and it should be returned as it was handed over as well and that would all be in your inventory as well so a good point Drew about gardens and external areas they are just as important as inside as well yeah can I say a big shout out to Ali thanks very much for the gift on TikTok by the way uh, and it does go to charity yeah that's good um, and then finally on the risk for damage or, or minimizing the risk for damage We've already touched on it, but take out insurance. Now, as a landlord, uh, obviously have a landlord's insurance, but as a tenant as well, have your own contents insurance. This will cover you for um, any costs that exceed, for a landlord's perspective, this will cost, uh, cover you for costs that exceed um, the security deposit um, or are not the responsibility of the tenant. So that's obviously things like weather damage, break-ins, theft. You need to have the right in, uh, insurance in place. Jim, we've just obviously been through that process with a really good insurance provider um, and uh, that all worked it well. And that was a combination of, I think it was like a break-in, a fire. And <laughs> it was that was some hit like, for the insurance. It was everything I, just, I, think, I think I had, had I not just changed to them or something like that? We had just, I just changed months, to them. A matter of months we'd changed over. Changed over to that insurer and then all of a sudden it was like, we've got a claim for about, what, 25,000 pounds? <laughs> It's like I, I've got to admit it was happy days for me because I thought, woohoo, a refurb. Yeah. Um yeah, well, we a refurb. Fantastic. And loss of rent as well. So the occupancy rate was literally the occupancy rate from, from the break-in, and you were good at that, Richard. You actually made sure the occupancy rate was right. From the from the from the break-in and the damage it was done and the repair it was done as well, with the loss of rent, I think we were we only lost one week's rent out of that. 
seven days or something. Yeah, it was a week. One week. One week's rent. That's uh, that's phenomenal when you think about it. Because I think it was nine months to get that over the line, uh, yeah. and and actually get it all rectified. And and the law suggester argued with you vigorously about how the fact that no, no, it should only be this amount, and you should be you should yeah. be taking a hit for this and a hit for that. And it's like no, we're not taking a hit for anything. Your liability is to pay for this and to pay for that, and we're expecting you to pay for that. Where they tried to catch me was the period of time from when the incident happened until work commenced or got underway. Um, but obviously, I don't have any control over contractors' availability and their time and ordering um, materials and everything like that. So that's where. But we 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 got there in the end. I've got to think about though. When as a landlord, you think about if you don't have the right letting agent. I think most letting agents would have just let that go and said, "Well, that's the insurance. I'm no responsible for." you know yeah. project managing that what has it got to do with me no, it's like no. you know it's up it's up to you and anybody with, with with without that knowledge and expertise would have just let that go and potentially lost i think potentially with the argument as well about the fact that they didn't want to pay for some of the uh, stuff that was to get done and and the kitchen and stuff and it's like oh well you could just tart it up in, mm -hmm. in the very beginning it could have cost about and it, it could have cost me about an extra eight thousand pound or something like that so that's why it's important to have somebody project managing it actually has it, the knowledge and expertise in order to in order to see that through when it comes to it. So yeah. that 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 pays, you know, that pays. That's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, you're not getting yeah, a pay rise, yeah. by the way. <laughs> yeah, that was a, it. Was a good result. <laughs> I had to but, put that. Um, I had to put that on the record just in case. <laughs> I I need to obviously make people aware though. Tenants are liable for damages and breakages in a property, whether that's accidental or whether it's deliberate. But um, if you supply fittings and things that are not up to the job um, and they do not stand the test of time, then the cost of the repair for that is up to you as the landlord. So what next, Kim? Let's talk about claims. I think just coming back to kind of what Jim's just covered with his Insurance claim. I mean, it's all about having the right person place to get all the information that you need and do it the process correctly. So this covers obviously what you need for a valid claim. So to make yeah. a successful claim against the tenant for damages, you need to meet specific criteria to show that you've suffered a loss and have the right of reimbursement. So yeah. one of the key things I will highlight here is I think we will cover this, but as a landlord or an agent, you are the one that is responsible for demonstrating the loss, the damage. The deposit is the tenant's unless you can prove otherwise yes that's that is why you point. need yeah you need a valid claim here so an inventory signed by the tenant ideally on every page at the start of the tenancy with accompanying photos videos along with a signed report from your regular inspector so an inventory is one of the key things basically without one these days you do not have a claim against the deposit now this is something that has to be done either at the day or two before the tenancy if not on the day itself it has to be, as I've just covered, photos, descriptions, ideally need to be time and date stamped as well. There is a lot that goes into an inventory and having an independent clerk to do that can be the way forward. We have had a lot of landlords over time that have tried to do their own ones. And whilst they make a valiant attempt, it's just not something that will hold up if they do need to go through a claim against the deposit for it. So making sure you have an inventory that meets the requirements is one of the key things. You cannot just have a list of paper with what's in the property and that it's clean. It I used like to, that. I used to, as, as a landlord and, 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 a, and a, 
and I used to think I could save money by actually not getting an inventory done or possibly just doing a video walkthrough myself with my camera. It's like, oh, I'll just do a video walkthrough or I'll get one bit of A4 paper and I'll just I'll just list what I've got and I'll just get the tenant and sign it at the bottom. But I now realise with the advent of the deposit scheme and the way it works and the way the adjudication system works to get your money back at the end or to try and get any deductions of the deposit, you better make sure you've got a wind and water tight inventory report. And that's where it comes down to is exactly what you guys are saying. It's like you, you have to just spring for the cost it now. Because the cost of an inventory is probably about 100, maybe 150, depending on what you're doing. But the key here is you're not going to be doing that every single time. The tenant's going to be in there for a long time and you might just need a refresh for when they move out and move in again. And it might not need to get done in full again. You know, I don't know what your thoughts are about it, but I don't see the necessary need to do it if everything's exactly the same as before. Yeah, I know that's, yeah, that's a bit of a <laughs> Yeah. So it has changed a lot since since we since I started doing it anyway. It was back you could yeah. reuse inventories. You could if the property was yeah. still in a similar condition, if the tenant hadn't been in too long, you could reuse it. That is not the case now. No. You need a new inventory every single tenancy. So but like you say, for the sake of, for example, a hundred pound, even if you're needing the property cleaned by a professional cleaner, that's probably going to cost you over a hundred pound anyway. So having your inventory is key here. And worse And you're never going to get that if you don't have the inventory. So yeah. you're never going to get it from the tenant, are you? Yeah, so, so you're going to have to have the inventory have in order to get you're going to have to have the inventory in order to get the money from their deposit if if there's a valid claim. And if you don't have the inventory, you've not got a leg to stand on. Exactly. And you have to prove that the damage was caused by your tenant or someone that they're responsible for, like a friend, a pet, even a delivery person. Yeah. I mean, what's I your thoughts on me doing what's your thoughts on me or as a landlord maybe doing the inventory myself and passing it, would it on take to you? you a lot of time to do what is actually required for it and it's weighing up whether your time what is, is actually ready. required what is actually required for an inventory so the inventory has to be a de detailed document as i say done ideally the day or two before the tenant moves into the property it has to have pictures of everything basically right down to the walls it should cover the condition of the paint whether it's freshly painted if it's had a clean the wording is also very particular as well so if a property has been cleaned has it been cleaned to a professional standard has it been cleaned to a domestic standard is it a high domestic standard is it a low one there is so many different technicalities that go into it, including like meter readings as well the condition of the garden so very much do you want to spend your time doing port which can easily be at least 50 pages long ideally so i've got frankie from safe deposit scotland here on tiktok and 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 he says an inventory or maybe she says actually yep she um sorry frankie, frankie <laughs> i realize it's an, it's an ie at the end so, frankie's who done a training jim yeah well there you go so frankie has actually been on the training for five properties anyway from safe deposit scotland an inventory is fundamental to any claim except rent and that's yes. right from the horse's mouth, Safe Deposit yep. Scotland. Frankie's brilliant. Frankie's, um, Frankie's been a letting agent herself as well. She's uh, really in the know. Um, and it's true what you say, Karen. Uh, and it's right down to even time stamping and the terminology you use in an inventory, clear descriptions, clear pictures, um, and uh, that all set out in a document. And it can run into up to 50 pages, depending on the property. So to do it yourself as a landlord, really, for the sake of 100 or 100 and odd pounds, Please don't use your own time, your own precious time doing something like that when you could have somebody, a third party independently do that. Um, 
and that will really safeguard you as best you can in the event of making a claim. And not only an inventory is an important document, but your tenancy agreement is something you will need if you're going to a deposit claim. So you should have your in your tenancy agreement, it should cover the type of loss that you're trying to recoup, and it should allow you to take that that will allow you to take it from the security deposit providing that it is specified in your tenancy agreement and this is where many off-the-shelf contractors fall short yeah. <laughs> yeah but this is where the evidence that the evidence that allows the loss to be worked out in money terms so this is where you need all your supporting documents not only do you need your inventory tenancy agreement but you need things such as initial receipts quotes, current price for equivalent replacement or estimate for any labour. So you cannot just say I want £100 for a clean, you have to have either a quote or an invoice to demonstrate this is how much it's going to cost. Likewise for any other replacements that you're doing you have to have the paperwork receipts to back this up as well. Here's an important thing to remember as well and you need to bear in mind that your claim can be rejected if you request the amount that benefits you more uh, than if the damage had never happened. And this is where this is called betterment. You need to watch out for this. So tenants are liable for what they have broken. Tenants are liable for what they've broken and not the cost of upgrades to the property. So if they break something in, in a property or damage something and it's to be fixed back to its current start, uh, state or clo as close to that, if you try and claim for something oh. at a cost where something's going to be upgraded and in a better condition, that comes under betterment, and they will but not. Let me regret. let me give you an absurd example. The yep. tenant completely destroys your new oven that you've installed, yep. but it's not a fan-assisted oven. You yep. then decide to replace it with a fan-assisted oven, which costs a lot more money. As a result, you can't claim the cost of the new fan-assisted mm -hmm. oven. It's only what the original oven would cost. So that's something you need to eat. So because and, and that's a misconception which some landlords fall out to like, oh, well, I'll just get a better oven this time. Well, that's fine, but you'll have to pay the difference. You'll get the cost amount that is equivalent to the oven that was there. Um, do you know, but you're not going to get to make a put a better oven in place. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's called betterment. And it's a really important thing to remember. So how this then makes me ask the question, then, how does the damage claims process actually work. Do you want to take this, Kim? Yes, so before you start a claim, remember that covering the costs is not about blaming or shaming. And how you communicate with your tenants can be the difference between a swift resolution and a lengthy conflict. Now, the deposit claim process can be very lengthy, very. <laughs> so uh, if you manage to handle this smoothly, resolve it with your tenants nice and amicably, it can be a nice swift turnaround or it can be a lengthy process where you are needing ample documentation, ample time to do so. So however, if you can't resolve things amicably after 30 days of the tenancy ending, these are the steps to making a claim. So the first one is to ask the deposit protection provider to appoint an independent adjudicator. The onus will always be on the landlord to prove loss, so provide as much evidence as you can. So this is the key point here, it is the landlord to prove the loss. So you have to have all your evidence. So your inventory, your sign out report, which should have descriptions and pictures also and should be compared against the initial inventory. The this then makes me ask, all the evidence this then, just as well. wait a minute now, Karen, this then pops into a question in my mind about 
you know, as a as a letting agent, for example, and even yeah. even as a landlord, is there an argument at some point in time with the amount of time you're going to have to spend on this, trying to claim thirty quid on your deposit? There's there's there comes a time where you think you just let it go. There are certain instances, yeah, where it's like, is this really worth all the 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 back and forward? Yeah, a, a really small amount. And also, but then how does a how does a landlord who uses a letting agent overcome that because i'll guarantee you a landlord will be going what am i paying for then and it's like but then wait a minute when you signed up this is and i'm going to argue for both sides here yeah yeah when you when you signed up five years ago with us that was your management fee now we've got to do a whole lot more work and you're expecting that to be included now yeah. how on earth does a letting agent actually run because i've noticed a lot of agents are actually getting to the point where they're having to say i'm going to have to charge for inspections now i'm going to have to charge for um, if you want to uh, argue about the deposit because these weren't agreements that we had in the very beginning uh, you signed up to and we can't afford to do that anymore because the running costs of agencies has actually yeah. gone up considerably cost of living everybody everybody just, thinks it's just them when in actual fact it's everyone it's just a, it's a combination of things, Jim, because as legislation and, and things change, we have to adapt. We've got, we have to retrain continuously. Like I've just said, we've just retrained. We have to take the time to obviously uh, actually carry out inspections and uh, do these types of things. And the, the resource and time and training, and just there's a combination of things that just all factor in. And um, a lot of letting agents will be the same. And uh, like you say, costs of everything across the board have increased and um, we have found ourselves in a position where, like a lot of other agents, we do so much for um, the, the the landlord and that whole process. And um, it's gonna have to obviously change because we are spending so much time keeping up with what a landlord if they were self-managed would have to do. So then it brings me back to the point that there, there is a point in time where if a landlord has got a, 450 pound 500 pound a month property and you they're paying you maybe even 10 percent, 12 percent, or whatever that is yeah. um the effort and time involved in that is going to come to the point if they want you to do everything and they don't expect you to charge them for it and just include it in that fee there's going to come a point in time where you turn around to them and say we can't afford to we can't afford to have you anymore you'll just yeah. have to go somewhere else yeah that will definitely be the case uh, as time goes on because it's it's doing so much stuff uh, and the, the, the everything that's involved um just we can't obviously keep up with the cost of things if um if it is involved in inspections and, and all the new legislation that we've this is this is why i believe a lot of lending agents will have to consolidate in the future they'll, they'll have to consolidate into bigger agencies and and that's purely for the fact that the running costs are are are, are um are, not, are disproportionate for a smaller letting agent as opposed to the the bigger letting agents could spread it over more, more the overheads over more of a cost base i've seen it already i've seen smaller agents amalgamate into other agents and make and and because obviously and it's all down to the, the running costs yeah frank is actually saying that you just she's seen that more and more across across the whole of scotland yeah. Um, yeah. and, and they would have that. They would obviously see that as safe deposit Scotland. They, the they go they've, got home, all, yeah. they've got all the agencies, and they'll obviously be transferring it to the other agencies as a result of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
So back to back to how how does the deposit uh, how does the damage claims process work? You know, where are we with this then? You know, I yeah. obviously interjected and, and spoke about who oh, actually yeah. pays for this, and we've covered that nicely. I think we've covered that in good detail, and people should understand this is uh, this is an incumbent cost on 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 letting agencies as well now, and possible landlords as well. If you've got a, if you're a one landlord, that again, this is where we're going to see a huge consolidation maybe in the landlords as well. You know, if you're one landlord, which is 94% of the landlord population, if you've got one property, one landlord, 94%, according to the Scottish government, in the 20, uh, 2040 housing bill, you know, they said that information back in 2019, 2020, and that's still true today. That that mix hasn't really changed. So if you're one landlord, 94% of the landlord population have one property in Scotland. What's the, why waste your time with this anymore? What is the point? It's like, and, and, and this is then leads me on to believe, you know, more and more landlords are going to have to use letting agents because yeah. it's becoming so encumbering. And and you don't want the landlord to leave the sector, but you need to reward the landlord adequately for the capital that they're putting into the property. We're getting into dynamics here, obviously, the rent return and all the rest of it. Because yeah. it's like, why would I want to just invest my money for all the hassle to get 2%? I could just yeah. put it in an ISA and actually get that return and have a, have, it's a no-brainer. And you're absolutely right. And I think as time goes on, um, and even as we are just at the moment, I think that everything that's involved for a self-managed landlord, and if they've just got one property, it doesn't make sense for them to do it on their own. You, and in and, and true time, it will be yeah. to get a letting agent to do it. And and uh, Jim, you've voiced your opinion on the fact that further down the line, it'll probably be that people might be forced to use a, land, a, a letting agent rather than be a landlord in their own right because of the legislation changes and, and keeping things. Yeah, the legislation changes are getting so draconian yeah. that, that, you know, every landlord just don't doesn't have the time to learn all this. And I think further down the road, the Scottish government will turn around and say every single landlord will either yeah. have to be qualified to some sort of minimum standard, which yeah. they aren't, by the way. Mm -hmm. So they have to be qualified to minimum standard or they will have to use a letting agent who is qualified. Yeah. on their behalf i think that will come eventually yeah but as we talk about the, the the claim process and and the um deposit protection agencies now they do really push for an amicable uh, resolution to be made between the agent the landlord and the tenant and you do need to allow your tenant that initial opportunity to go back and rectify anything that you've picked up on the exit inspection failing that as you said can it'll go to adjudication so tell us a bit about the adjudication process yeah, so the adjudicator will review the evidence and liaise with your tenant. They usually give a decision within a month. This now, while you can, I'm trying to think of the right word for this. You can question that. You can make a request for the decision to be reviewed, but this is only going to be successful if there has been an error within the law of the case. So this is not. Ah, uh, so they're they're, they're just shown... you're not happy with the decision. It has to yeah. be an effective. Yeah. So they're following, they're following the simple procedure and in, in, in the letter of the law as well, which is actually the court adjudication process. They're following the same tact. You can only appeal if there's been an error in the law itself. Yeah. You yes. can't appeal just because you think it's unjust. And then this is the final legally binding decision that can only be challenged in court. So if you do wish to take things further, you can claim up to 5,000 in the small claims court if you have a property in England or Wales or it is the simple procedure in Scotland. Yeah, it's true, the first year, yeah. Yeah. So higher amounts are claimed through the court 
the county court in England and Wales are the civil court, which is sheriff's court in Scotland, but you will need a solicitor to do this. Which is what I'm having to do with some of my tenancies. You know, the very fact that, you know, there are a lot higher amounts as a result of that. Because I take, um, no, just me personally, not five properties, but I take, yeah. I take, I, I give people a lot of leeway. And I obviously, I obviously believe that people can write themselves if given the opportunity. Unfortunately, my aspirations and the, the what actually happens in, <laughs> in real life uh, don't match each other. And, and it often <laughs> ends up with me having to take the hit. Yeah, I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen, definitely. One of the things that I touched on before is obviously just remember that the tenant's deposit remains their money until an agreement or a judgment is made. And it is yeah. illegal to hold on to any more than the amount of your claim. Yeah, it's that's such an important part. to have the deposit in a deposit protection scheme. So another yeah. good one to keep in mind. Yeah, that security deposit is the tenant's money unless at the end you have reason to prove otherwise. So please bear that in mind. And I think with that today, I think the question for everybody would be, are you protected against deposit uh, damages um, through your deposit by your tenant? I mean, you really need to think about that. If you own a rental home and um, you're unsure uh, and would like maybe a simple check over of things, then please feel free to come to myself direct. My direct number and my email and things are in the blog attached to this uh, show. So feel free to reach out, guys, if anything that we've discussed today. Um, you're unsure about or maybe as uh, if it's if it's not something you're familiar with and you're managing property um, then you really need to speak to somebody to get yourself up to speed because it's a, it could be a minefield if you're if you're not if you're not aware or got the knowledge to deal with that type of situation finally i think drew had actually mentioned there just to cover drew's question about what about the keep the upkeep of the garden areas normal yeah. tenant duties isn't it yeah and i and i, and I touched on drew's comment and, and it's as you need to maintain the garden and as I say, you don't need to be ex extensively green fingered. And do you know, as long as the the lawns are kept tidy, weeds are yeah. kept at bay, and do you know, and 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 it's kept tidy and I returned think, as it was handed over. I think for a lot of people, and this is just speaking speaking from a personal point of view, over all yeah. the years and experience I've had as being a landlord and also being an investor and also being a next door neighbour to people that I've rented before. Yeah, it's it's you often tend to put your own perspective of how you would look after your garden onto the other person. Yeah. And it's like we, we don't all use garden gnomes, by the way. We don't all have a wee pond with a, you know, a, a fountain coming out of it. And and there's there's a there's a different way. You know, it's 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 how you say, it's like the cleanliness of your house. Yeah, everybody has different their own. Everybody has standards of the cleanliness in the house, but the reality is, as long as I get the house back how I gave you, minus normal wear and tear, I'm not bothered how you live in between. As long as you're not antisocial, you pay your rent, and you don't damage the property. That's yeah. the three things that tick all my boxes as a as an investor and a landlord, and that's the three things that should tick any boxes. Yeah, you know. So the the reality is, as long as the as long as the garden's clean and tidy, and it's not to you, you know, it's like oh my god, the the, the grass is six inches instead of you know, like yeah. half an inch. Yeah. It's it's the middle of winter, it's pouring in rain, there's no way anybody's going to be able to cut the grass. So how is that possible to do that? But people still tend to want to have a go about that for some reason. So yeah. that's yeah. probably my perspective on how I see the world in terms of how I see it. I don't know if anybody sees it like that as well, but that's, you know, that's, it is normal tenant duties uh, to do that, to upkeep the garden. 
but it is often a, it is often a place that's neglected, especially in in shared uh, in, yeah. in shared gardens or, or flats. Yeah, because it's like yeah. everybody else thinks everybody else should do it, or or has, or is going to do it, and or everybody else thinks everybody else is. And the only reason I know this is because I lived in there. I've lived <laughs> in that situation before. Everybody else thinks everyone else is. It's their turn to cut the grass. You know, because I've done it all before for everybody, so why are they not doing it? But they don't actually tell them. Yeah. <laughs> it's so just the stupid they're going to do it. Yeah, they assume. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's like you say, Jim, you can't you can't micromanage how people live on a day to day basis. And you shouldn't you shouldn't be set out to do if you're set out to try and do that as a landlord or an agent even, then that's wrong. You, people need to live as and if people are a wee bit messy as they live day to day, then that's fine. That's how they live. And and as long as the property has not been damaged and it's handed back. Yeah. Um, Ali, makes a, Ali makes a good point, though. Um, and yeah. I'll just say that. He says, you know, when you have a situation like that, you could obviously, um, and you could you could say to them, look, I tell you what, for a, for a fortnightly fee, we'll just get that done if you, sure, if, yeah. if you appear. So you guys don't need to bother it and don't need to do we it. We have a lot of tenancies like that where there's gardeners in place and the tenants are more than happy to have that because it takes that away, the responsibility away for them and you've got yeah. that agreement in place, definitely. Especially, especially gardens as well. Especially it goes on to say, especially with working families, and and possibly try to encourage uh, the tenants to actually sign up to that sort of agreement before they actually take the property. That will give you a great idea what type of person they are. Then, if they are actually going to look after it, or if they say no, no, I will do it. Okay, great stuff. You will do it. That's fine. So Some you, people and, choose to and 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 are uh, quite avid gardeners and things. And oh no, no, I'll do the garden, and and you're like, that's fine. But we have yeah. a lot of, that have gardeners in place and because and they are working families and they don't have the time to really maintain it as it should be especially if they're big gardens um yeah. but one that i could come to mind that's in upper largo and the, the back garden's massive and it's got a gardener because i got even like i don't know who would tackle that or have the time to tackle it some owner so landlords do actually say to them i've seen it before and you know that you know we'll just get the garden done anyway and you don't need to pay for it because yeah. they want to make sure their garden's actually kept in the right condition because their intention eventually is possible to move back into it later Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Or or they've spent so much time on it and they know what effort's been put into it. If you just leave that, it'll just decay to nothing and you'll yeah. never get it rectified to back to what it was until you spend thousands and thousands of pounds. So that that prevention rather than cure is the is the option there when it comes to yeah. gardens. We've, we've got one up in Dairsay where the, the, the guys come and do all the trees and the bushes and all the rest of it and it's the landlord that covers that because they know that it's a big task to, to undertake and that gets done uh, yeah. once or twice a year I think. But it is like you say Jim the prevention is better than the cure for it and it comes back to kind of what we've covered today and just making sure that you're taking these preventative measures like having your inventory having your sign out report and making sure that you do have an understanding as to wear and tear and what betterment is as well so you're avoiding yourself uh potentially distressing and long deposit claim at the end of the tenancy yeah and it's good as a, as a landlord and investor thanks very much for clarifying this for me because i'm more aware now of the the current situation i'm more aware of the fact that um, uh, of the fact that the courts and the, the first year tribunal system and the safe deposit system are in more control than we actually think we could influence at all or or a letting agent can influence at all. It's, and it's really down to it's really down to understanding that as, a, as an investor and a landlord, which will allow you to build your portfolio a lot bigger rather than actually getting caught in the minutiae of arguing over minor yeah. technicalities. 
Uh, a classic example the other day is, you know, I, I had my solicitor come back to me and say, do you know it's going to cost £650? They're wanting to put another liability insurance on this 30 properties that you're buying. And it's like, and I'm like, I couldn't care less. Just let them get on with it. It's 650 quid. I'm buying 30 properties. Yeah. I'm not going to argue over over 650 quid at this point in time to get over the line in the next half an hour. <laughs> I know. See what I mean, though? How yeah. people can get dragged into that perspective and let it take control of them completely. I says, get it over the line first, then I'll put a complaint and I'll get my money back. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks very much for clarifying okay. that and and, and yeah. you know and, and coming on. Last, final words from you guys because this isn't the, this isn't the me it should be talking. Yeah, as as I was saying, um, if anybody watching has any questions or if you're if you're managing or self managing and a lot of that didn't resonate with you or, or made you quite like mm, I didn't know that I didn't know that then feel free to reach out to me and, and have a chat I'd be happy to have a uh, have a discussion about what the correct procedures are and I think not even just for landlords for tenants as well having the third party involved if you're a tenant and you feel that you're having a claim against you that's unjust then as long as you could prove otherwise then you should be fine and it's and it goes so it works both ways it's not all just the landlord it's, it's it's the tenant and the landlord, and that's what that process is there for. Kim? Just understanding the process for it is the key point here. Whether you are a landlord or a tenant, a deposit protection scheme is there to protect both parties within this and make an unbiased decision. So making sure that if you're a landlord going through a claim, you and it is justified, you have all the right information that you need there. Or likewise, with a tenant that is going through a claim that is unjustified as well, that you understand the process for say for a deposit claim yeah great well thanks for thanks for your input Kim. um obviously always appreciated and and jim your perspective as obviously an agent and, a, and an investor and landlord yourself it's good to get that uh, the, the flip side of it and to everybody that's joined in this morning with questions and things thanks uh of as always for keeping it interactive and that's us uh we're finished for today I will be doing the Wealth Creation Show on Monday, Jim. Um, I'm doing five keys to rise in 2024, so join me then 12.30 on Monday. And until then, I'll see you guys later, and thanks for joining. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.